up, Ace 12? How you guys doing tonight? Dude, how many of you guys were at uh, Ace 12 Got Talent last week across the hall in the big room? Man, was that not sick, nasty? It was so good. If you missed it, you missed it last week. It was an amazing show. We had so much fun, and I'm so excited about tonight. Tonight is going to be off the heezy fo sheezy. And before we get started, if you could pull out your note guides under your seats there, if you're taking notes, there's usually pens around your seat if you don't have one. And, uh, and I want to go ahead and fill in the blanks for you so you can take notes as we go through the night, uh, additional to what I'm going to give you for your notes. But I want you to go ahead and fill it in to set a framework for where we're going. We've been in this series, The Great Paradox. And, uh, and this is the third weekend. We've been looking part of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 7. It is one sermon that Jesus spoke. And we're doing this series this month on Matthew 5. The next series will be on chapter 6. And the series after that will be on chapter 7. And um, so I'm going to fill the blanks in for you there and then we'll get started. Um, so put this down in your notes. The, the, the title of the message tonight is Don't Miss the Point. And I want you to write this down. There's a couple of things I want you to know. Some I want you to do. Here's the things I want you to know. It is easy to miss the point. It's easy to miss the point. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, clarifies the point. That's why we're going through this whole thing. And what he tells us to do out of this, what we're going to talk about today is, settle your, difference, your differences quickly with others. Settle your differences quickly with others. So this is what Jesus is talking about. This is this whole point of the whole idea of what he's talking about here is don't miss the point. And, and he says, and he says, and, and, and he said, and, and what, what the first point there is, it's easy to miss the point. And that, that's true for us, right? Like it's easy for us to miss the point in things in life. In fact, I was looking at a survey the other day and this is what the survey said. The survey said that 79% of Americans miss the point on almost everything in life, I'm only missed the point in, in even things like professional wrestling, which I don't know how you missed the point in that. And uh, this thing begins to argue all these different things that, that we missed the point in. And it said this, it said that many of the people that they surveyed, many of the overweight people that they surveyed confess to eating bag after bag of reduced fat chips every day. Now that's kind of missing the point, right? Like, like reduced fat chips, you eat one bag, all right, that's cool. But if you eat bag after bag of reduced fat chips, it ain't gonna help you, you know what I'm saying? They, they, interviewed, they interviewed these business owners who recycled in their company in order to uh, bring in more revenue, to save money for their company, in order to be environmentally friendly. And then they would take the money that they got back in return for the recycling, and they would spend that money to put gas in their big trucks and SUVs that were not very environmentally friendly. So they were kind of missing the point on the whole idea. Most of the people that they interviewed said that they were, they were frustrated that movies insulted their intelligence and that they wished that there were more family movies out there for people to watch. Yet 85% of the people surveyed had seen the movie Big Daddy and only 10% had seen the critically acclaimed family film The Iron Giant. Only 10%. Who's in the 10%? Exactly, about 10% of y'all. Because uh, I ain't never seen that movie. Never heard of that movie. Anyways, and, uh, and, and this is what they found was interesting. They found that, they found that it was interesting that, that people, that, that, that the more study that you do on it, that you realize that movies that, that are not family friendly have much higher attendance and make a lot more money than the movies that are more family friendly. 
So we just kind of missed the point. We want more family-friendly movies, but they don't do as well in the box office. And so literally what we do is we are, show, we are complaining about the thing that we are showing support for and putting our money towards. I love with this one dude in West Virginia, this mechanic named Ernie. You know he said yeehaw after every sentence. He said this. He said, if I want to miss the point, that's my own business. If I want to complain about having to pay taxes, higher taxes, while at the same time demanding for extra police protection for my neighborhood, that's my right as an American. Yeah! Most people in other countries don't ever get the chance to miss the point, and that is tragic. <laughs> Y'all. Honest, honest perspective from, uh, from old Ernie in West Virginia. Um, and, and I think about this all, I think about, I started thinking about this. I was like, man, that's true. I mean, like, I miss the point on things all the time as well. I was even thinking of just like a, a general thing that I missed the point on that I was just kind of thinking over in that, uh, in that. And I missed the point on all kinds of things. But I was thinking about like something as simple as like, like Walmart. Who likes to go to Walmart? Dude, I love Walmart, man. Wally World, that's the place, right? And, like, and here's the deal. When you go into Walmart, when you go into Walmart and you get all your stuff, I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but you get all your stuff and you get up to the front and there is like 75 registers stretched from one end of the building to the other and there's like four open. And I get so frustrated. Anybody get frustrated with me? You're like, dude, that is the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> and, and I complain about it, but, but, but then as I was thinking about it, I started thinking about it like this. Well, if, if they had 75 registers open, sure, I wouldn't have to wait in line for five minutes. But the store would have to charge higher prices for their products because they would have to pay for all the employees it would take to run those registers. So actually, during slower business times of the year, it's, it's smarter, it's genius to not have as many registers open because they would rather their customers wait a couple minutes in line for something versus not having to wait at all in order for their prices to be down. And one of the reasons why we like to go back to Walmart is because their prices are down. Then you say, well, well, why would you ever put 75 registers in a store to begin with? Well, here's why. Because there are times during the year, like Black Friday through Christmas, when, when they turn over so much product and they make, make the most, most of their revenue during the year during that time that, that they can afford to have more registers open and it doesn't let get the customers frustrated by having to wait in line as long because they have more registers open and actually they maximize on their profits as a result of that. And so actually it's genius. Now as I was thinking about this survey after I read it and I was kind of thinking through this conversation, this thought came to me. Hey, peanut gallery. This uh, thought came to me. Well... This thought came to me. I wonder how many people miss the point of church, miss the point of Christianity, miss the point of Jesus. I wonder how many people who have been going to church, been around church, been around a Christian home their entire life, and they completely miss the point. In fact, that is the conversation that Jesus is having with this crowd. This crowd is very religious. These people were the Jews. They were the people of God. No one was more religious than these people. 
And if you've got your Bibles, you can open to Matthew 5. We're going to pick up in the story in verse 20 here in a second. But I wonder how many of us missed the point. In fact, I wrote some things down, and, and I think this is just important um, th- that I wanted to kind of share with you guys because um, I, I think that it is, this cripples us in the church because, and outside the church because so many people think this. I put this down. If you think Christianity is about ba- obeying a bunch of rules, you've missed the point. If you think that Christianity is about earning God's love, you've missed the point. God gave you his love freely. You don't have to earn it. If, it, if you think that Christianity means that you're going to have an easy life, you're not going to go through trial and pain and temptation, you've missed the point. If you think that Christianity is about having every prayer request answered that you asked for, you've missed the point. If you think that God is up there as just some judge watching you, waiting for you to mess up, you've missed the point. And I can continue going on and on and on on things that we miss the point for when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Jesus. And that's what Jesus is doing here in this passage. He's resetting what these people think about him, what these people think about the church, what these people think about God the Father. He's resetting all these things for the people. And I, wanna, I want us to read. We're going to jump in to Matthew chapter 5, verses 20. And uh, we're going to read Matthew 5, 20 through uh, probably 24. And... Um, and then, and then I'm going to stop, and then we'll read some of the rest of it later. I'm going to jump up to 20. We're going to focus on 21 and following, but I want to read chapter tw- or verse 20 just so you can get some context for, for what Jesus has just said right before this, and I want, to, I want to give you a little piece of that. He says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, or calls them a bad name, is answerable to the court. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Therefore, if you are offering a gift at at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. I want you to notice what he starts out out with right here. He says, he says, he starts out in verse 20. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now listen, you got to understand this. When the people of this day heard this, they would have been like, what? Jesus, this is absurd. What are you talking about? Unless my righteousness surpasses the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these were the most religious people of the day. These people prayed more than anybody else. They fasted more than anybody else. They were reading the scriptures more than anybody else. They were in the church more than anybody else. They knew the Bible more than anybody else. I mean, these were the most religious people of the day. And this is completely absurd to them. This is a paradox. This is what the series we're in. Remember, a paradox means a statement or a proposition that seems contradictory but actually, after further investigation, seems to be true. And Jesus says these paradoxical statements all the time. And so the listeners that are listening to this literally would have been like this. Well, then, if our righteousness doesn't pass out of Pharisees and we can't enter the kingdom of heaven, then that means that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven. That it's impossible. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you've missed the point. 
God doesn't look at the outer appearance and how we look at each other. God looks at the heart. God looks at what's on the inside. God gets under the hood. God gets below the surface. God knows who you are at the depths of who you are. And though the Pharisees look like they're amazing on the outside, on the inside, they are crooked on the inside. They have their own selfish motives on the inside. They want their own reward on the inside. They are rotten. That's what's under the surface. In fact, Jesus even says this later in Matthew. He, he uses all these different analogies to talk about this, to talk about the Pharisees. He says this in verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verse 27 and 28. He says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. That's a pretty strong word. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones, the bones of guys, Right? He's going right for the jugular. He is going after them. And one of the things he's saying here, he's like, listen, listen, you are like whitewashed tombs. During this day, uh, a tomb, you know, they would make them really beautiful because it's where they would put like their whole family in. But the inside of it was considered unclean. To go inside the tomb, you would have to go outside of the city. You would have to cleanse yourself for seven days before you can come back into the city. It was considered unclean. There's death inside of the tomb. And so no one would want to go inside of the tomb. And so everyone understood the analogy that Jesus was saying when he says, you're like whitewashed tombs. All you're doing is shining yourself up on the outside, but the inside is gross. If he was using the terms for today, he would say, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you were like a polished turd. That's what he would have used today. Anybody know a turd? Like somebody, you're just like, man, that dude's a turd. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he, he goes like this right here. He points to his neighbor. And uh, you know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't matter how much you polish a turd. That thing still stinks. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't want to touch it. You know? And that's what he said. That's what he would have said if he said it in our modern day language. He would have said, he that's how he would have said it. And, and, and here's my question for you. Before we go any further in the conversation tonight, before we go into next week, which is going to be awesome, and then we go into the next series following, we go through this, this entire uh, Sermon on the Mount, I want you guys to think, I want you guys to start looking at what's under the surface in you. Like every, the reason we're doing the Sermon on the Mount is because the crowd is you. The crowd is me. They're listening in and Jesus is saying these things and they are shocked because Jesus is saying these things and they sound absurd. But when you begin to investigate them, they're so true. How many people come here and it's like, oh man, that dude, man, they're solid. They're awesome. Man, they love Jesus. They, 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 man, they, they're worshiping. They're holding their hands up. Man, they, they look like they got it all together. And how many times I'll make a comment, oh man, that guy's a stud, that girl's a stud. And I'll say, oh, you, you, you don't know them like I know them. You don't know them at school. True? So how about this? How about we stop being fake? And let's get under the service. Let's get under the hood. Let's talk about who we really are. Because here's the deal. At the end of the day, we're about doing business with God here. And until you get serious about who you really are, God can't get serious with you to begin with. See, one of the things about saying you're a Christian is not saying you're perfect. It's saying that you're broken and that you need a Savior. And if you pretend like you're not broken, and we all are, then you're never going to see your need to turn to Jesus so that he can change you, so that he can work in you. Man, I'm broken. I need God to put me back together. I'm a punk. 
I do stupid things. I've done stupid things. I'm not perfect. I need the grace of God in my life, just like you do. I don't want to be a hypocrite, but at times I am, and we all are. And then that sets the stage for what Jesus is about to say, and he says this. He goes on, he says this. You have heard that it was said long ago. Now remember I addressed this in the week one of this. I want to just revisit it real quick to give you the framework. You have heard that it was said long ago. Jesus said this many times throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard that it was said long ago, but I say to you. Jesus isn't coming to say some new truth that they, that they didn't know. What he's saying to them is this. Listen, you've heard that it was said long ago. The scriptures have already said this, but you have skewed it. You have, you have misunderstood it. So I'm here to tell you how you should interpret it so that you would know how to to live this out in your life, that, that I'm about to flip your understanding upside down. Now, this is important because these people built their entire lives on these beliefs that they had that Jesus is about to put the smack down on. And then he says this. He says um, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 21, you've heard it was said long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Well, Jesus, duh. You've heard it was said long ago that anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Well, Jesus, that's real profound. I mean, how many of you in here agree that if someone murders someone, they should be judged for it? And if you're not raising your hand, what the heck is wrong with you? (laughs) If someone murders your mama, all right, do they deserve judgment? If someone murders babies, do they deserve judgment? Does someone murders puppies? No. No. Of course they do. Not kittens, though. Not kittens. That doesn't count. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> well, watch how he continues. He says this. But I tell you, You know this. This is obvious. You know this, people. You know, as it was said long ago, if you murder, you'll you'll be judged. Like, you know this. This is obvious, people. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Notice he uses the same language. He's basically saying, I'm putting anger on the same platform as murder. I'm saying that, listen, if you murder someone, you're subject to judgment. But let me tell you, if you're angry with someone, you're subject to the same judgment in the same way. That's absurd, Jesus. Anger and murder are different. I get angry all the time about things. I get angry in traffic. I get angry at Walmart for not having (laughs) registers open. What are you talking about, Jesus? That's not the same as murder. Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. And he takes it a step further. Notice what he says. Again, anyone who says to his brother rocker, calls him a name, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, you call somebody a fool and call him a name, you're in danger of the fires of hell. That's paradoxical. That's absurd, Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? That makes no sense. That's, that's, that's crazy. How can you put murder and anger and calling people names on the same playing field? It seems so extreme. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this. You can think that you are all right because you have not committed certain egregious sins such as murder or adultery, which he talks about next. 
But I tell you that even the things that you don't see as a big deal are just as egregious when compared to the holiness of God. See, we live in a culture that sees sins as little sins and big sins. And this is what I found. Most of us like to see our sins as little sins. And Jesus is saying, listen, what's happened is you people think that you are good with God because you're not murdering people and you're not committing adultery against your wife, but you're angry with each other all the time. You're talking crap behind each other's back all the time. You're calling each other's names all the time. You might as well be murdering them because you are with your words. And he says, listen, in the eyes of God, when you tear people down like that, it is just the same as if you were murdering them. See, we look at sins as little sins and big sins. But God looks at all sin as big sins. And here's why. Because even the littlest of sins, as we would call them, put Jesus on the cross. Jesus had to go to the cross to pay for the littlest of sins that we commit. I love this analogy. I love this analogy that they pretend like this is some sky, uh, skyscrapers and, and this is kind of like a side view of skyscrapers. And if you're looking at like downtown Atlanta, and let's say these were like, you know, seven skyscrapers in a row. And as you look at these skyscrapers, you can see the different heights of them. And you say, oh, that one's big and that one's small and that one's kind of medium size. And we can kind of look at a, at a skyscraper like that. And, and, and what happens is this is how people look at sin. We look at sin like they are different sizes. And we compare ourselves to each other. Well, mine aren't as bad as that person's, and, and this person's aren't as bad as this person's. And we judge our friends by how many, you know, how they are and who we want as our friends based on what they do and what they've done. And, and, and then I want you to notice this. This is how God looks at sin. This is a top view. If you were to fly over this and you were to look down, you would not know as in an aerial view, you would not know how tall these buildings were in an aerial view. You can't, you can't tell when you're straight over top of these buildings. All you see is a line of buildings. This is how God sees our sin. God sees our sin in this way. God sees our sin is all equal because the smallest of sin, as we would say them, put Jesus on the cross. They are a big deal to God. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, anger and calling each other names, that should not only be a big deal to God, but that should be a big deal to you. That should be a big deal to you. I mean, think about it this way. Let's say I got into a relationship with a girl. Let's say you got into a relationship with a girl or a guy, you know what I'm saying? And you're you're dating somebody and y'all been, you know, kicking it for a little bit. And, And one day you're having this conversation And he or she says back to you, hey, listen, I got this little problem. It's not that big of a deal, but I just got a little bit of AIDS. (laughs) Not a big deal. Just a little bit of AIDS. It's not a lot. Like, it's not a lot. It doesn't affect me all the time. Just some of the times, like just a little bit. You would be like, what? Like, what's a little bit of AIDS? You know what I'm saying? Like, listen, listen, listen. Let 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 me get a little more serious. Let me get a little serious. Let's say, let's say you went to the doctor's office and the doctor said, listen, it's no big deal. You got a little bit of cancer. 
See, this is what happens. When you think about it in those terms, you're like, what do, you, what do you mean a little bit of cancer? Like you're gonna be alarmed and you're gonna start praying and you're gonna start seeking God for that and you're gonna, you're gonna ask, well, what, what do I need to do for treatment? Whatever the doctor says, that's what you're gonna do because you know what the word cancer means because you have a respect for it. Listen, listen, listen. We live in a culture that has diminished sin so much that we don't look at sin the same way we look at cancer. But you need to hear me. Sin is a cancer inside of you. And it eats away at you. And there is no such thing as just having a little bit of sin. No such thing in the eyes of God or anybody. What happened is every person listening would have realized this. I'm guilty. I mean, who's been angry in here before? Yep. Who's called someone a name before? I called Coy like five today. <laughs> right? <laughs> I should have made him twerk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Of course we have. And so everyone hearing this, what, everyone hearing this, this is what they were thinking. They were thinking, ha, I haven't murdered, I haven't committed adultery. Oh, junk. That means I'm subject to judgment. And Jesus is like, ah, that's right. See, what happened is Jesus was trying to show them their sin so, he can, so that they would see their need for a Savior. That was the whole point. The Bible tells all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that is the beauty of what God did. God did not leave us in our sin. God did not leave us hopeless. God did not leave us on a path to destruction because of the cancer eating away in us that eventually is going to kill us. That's why we all die one day. We may not die from the actual disease of, of, of cancer, but we do die from the actual disease of sin. Every person dies. That's a fact. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's why we die. And God says, but I want to give you life. That you have a body and you have a soul. And I want to give your soul life. And I want to bring, and I want you to live eternally with me. And so I'm going to send my son out of my love. And he's going to live here on earth. And he's going to show you that you haven't got it. That you have sin in your life. And that you're, that you're dying as a result of this sin. And then he's going to come and he's going to say, hey, listen. You need to know this because you need to know that you have a need for a savior because of that sin. So, so now that you know that, listen, I am the answer. I am the one who can help you restore your relationship with God, help you restore your relationship with others. I am the answer because I'm going to live a sinless life. So I'm not going to die the death that you have to die. And then I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die on the, on the cross for not for my sin, because I haven't sinned and I'm not dying because I need to die because I can live forever because I haven't sinned, but I'm dying for your sin on the cross in your place. So that now when I die on the cross, you no longer have to experience eternal death, but you can experience eternal life because I've given that to you as a free gift when you put your trust and faith in me. That's the gospel. That's the point. That's why we say don't miss the point because Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point. He fulfills that. Moving on. (laughs) Wrong way. Then he continues. Notice what he says. This is so good. 
I mean, you got to catch this, and you wouldn't catch this if you're just generally reading this. i got to break you into what's going on here. Notice what he says. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister, meaning like a friend, anyone that you would know, not your literal sibling, but a brother and sister in Christ or whoever, he says this. Therefore, your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and make it right with them, and then come back and offer your gift. I want you to picture this. When we read this, we think, okay, well, okay, so I get it. So like if I'm in church and it's Sunday morning and I got there a little late, you know, whatever, and, and it's offering time and I'm going to put some money in the offering. And as I'm about to put the money into the offering plate, I remember, you know what? Shaniqua has a problem with me. And I am not okay with Shaniqua having a problem with me. You know what? Hold on a second. Offering plate, I'm going to let you pass. I'm going to put that money back in my pocket. I'm going to slip right out of the back of the service. I'm going to call Shaniqua. Hey, yo, Shaniqua, what's up? Listen, I know what I said about your mama and your, and your baby's daddy, and I'm really sorry about that. And I want us to work this thing out. And you guys have a conversation. You work it out and you say, sweet, awesome, I love you. BFF, call you later. Let's get some manicures. And then you come back and you, you come back in and then you put your money into the offering plate, right? Like, that, like, like that's how we would read that story. But that's not, that's not how they would have understood the story in this day. This is what Jesus says. Every, this is for what, for what you need to understand. Every year, they would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the temple. That's where, they would make the off, that's where they would make the offering, in the temple. They didn't have churches all over the place. They would go to the temple. That's where the offering would be, and the temple was in Jerusalem. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount in Galilee, which is 120 miles from Jerusalem. It is where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Uh, Jesus grew up in Nazareth, up by Galilee, and Jesus would make that journey every year. 240 miles round trip. By the way, it was on foot. This was a journey that would take days, sometimes over a week, in order to make the pilgrimage from Galilee to Jerusalem to go there. In fact, it was on one of these trips to Jerusalem where Jesus was ushered into the town with Hosanna leaves, all that kind of stuff, riding in on a donkey. They, they brought a donkey to him. He comes in on a donkey. Everyone's cheering him. Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the king. And then what happens? He is arrested. He's, and then he's eventually crucified as a result of that. That was in Jerusalem. He was on one of these journeys headed to Jerusalem when that happened. So he's headed to Jerusalem. Uh, they would head to Jerusalem 120 miles, days of this. And this is what he's saying. Listen, after you've traveled days, you've spent all of this money, you spent all of these resources, you have the gift that you're going to give, and you're there at the altar in the temple about to offer your gift. And you remember that someone back at home has a beef with you. And this is what it says. It doesn't say, it doesn't say that you have a problem with them. It says that you know someone has a problem with you. He says, then you leave your gift at the altar. Travel the many days journey back to your hometown. Make it right with that person. Then come back. And if your gift is still there, which it will not be, so you would have to offer another gift, which would have been expensive, spend more resources to travel. You would have to offer it again. This is what he's saying. Don't pretend that things can be okay with you and God when they're not okay with you and other people. 
Don't pretend that things can be okay with you and God when they're not okay with you and other people. Jesus is serious about this. I mean, he dives into this. Everyone listening to this on the mountain would have been like, holy cow, Jesus, do you know what you're saying? And Jesus is like, yeah, I do know what I'm saying. And what I'm saying is, is that you making things right with the people around you is way more important than you offering some offering at the altar because that offering is not going to be received by God anyway because it is a tainted offering. It is not offered with the fullness of your heart. And the reason it's not offered with the fullness of your heart is because your heart can't be full towards me if you've got some beef with someone over here. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever been in a beef with someone, a tiff with someone, an argument with someone, you've had some experience and someone made you mad and all day long it consumes your thoughts and it just all day, you're just like, I, you just got to tell somebody, you're t- you won't believe what so-and-so said, you know what I'm saying? How many, how many of you guys have ever had something like that happen? Man, I've had that happen. Like, <laughs> it's like today, you know what I'm saying? Dude, I'm telling you, like my wife and I, we, you know, we'll get in an argument. I know we're, we're, not, we're not perfect. And uh, we're close though. She's beautiful. Anyway, so, um, but my wife and I will get in an argument, you know, and man, it's like the whole next day. I'm just like, oh, you know, and like, I'm like, you know, just like I used stew in it. That's the reason, that's the reason it says don't let the sun go down while you were still angry. Don't let the sun go down. Hey, you need to resolve this thing quickly. You don't need to hang on to it. You need to resolve it. You need to take care of it because the more you stew in it, the more it consumes you. And here's the deal. This is what he's saying. When you are consumed by your anger and your disappointment and the argument and their towards another person because of that, you cannot be consumed with me. Because your mind is so consumed by these other things, your mind cannot be consumed by me. And when your mind is not consumed by me, I can't show you all the things I want to show you today. I can't tell you all the things I want to tell you today. I can't lead you how I want to lead you today because you're so mad at this person that it has paralyzed you from you hearing my voice and what I want to communicate to you today as you are my follower. It's a big deal. And he continues on. In that same vein of settling things quickly, look what he says. He says in verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out till you pay the last penny. Notice what he says, you will not get out till you pay the last penny. In other words, it will cost you way more if you don't settle things quickly than it will be if you hang on to it and it goes to something more extreme. It will cost you way more. This is the to-do in your notes that I mentioned earlier. Jesus is saying, settle settle your differences with others quickly. See, I think what happens is is that some people don't want to settle their differences with people quickly because they're trying to prove a point. And Jesus would say, no, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. Stop trying to prove the point and realize you've missed the point and go make things right. It doesn't matter what someone's done to you. It doesn't matter how angry they've made you. Restore things with them quickly. Settle things quickly. So I'm going to close out with this tonight. We'll have a band come up. 
I think there's several challenges I want to give y'all tonight as, as we close out this message. The first is this. Who is it that tonight you need to settle some things with quickly? Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a former friend. I don't care what they've done with you. Who is the person that you need to settle things quick? Listen, listen. This is the deal. What happens is this, is that, is that your relationship with God is being hindered because you are not settling things with another person. And God's saying, listen, I want to keep that communication going. Like, listen, go and settle that thing. Get that thing right. Things cannot be all right with me if they're not all right with you and the other people in your life. Who do you need to settle things quickly with tonight? And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to build into your life a pattern of forgiveness. A pattern of letting things go. We talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. Second thing is this. What little sins, as we would call them, have you been treating casually in your life? Maybe it's something that you think is not going to take you out. Maybe you think, hey, dude, I'm good like, like everything else in my life. I'm not like murdering anyone. I'm not like, you know, doing anything crazy. But man, it's that little thing that's just eating away at you like a cancer. And tonight, you need to lay that down. You need to make a decision that you're going to get some accountability. You're going to get someone in on the conversation with that who you trust. Maybe it's a leader here. Maybe it's a student here that you're friends with that you know is going to pray for you, that's going to encourage you. And maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know what? I realize that I'm in need of a savior. That Jesus is saying, don't miss the point here that you can think you have it all together just as the Pharisees did. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross in your place for your sins so that you could have life, eternal life. Not just life after you die, but also life today, full life. John 10, 10, for I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. You know how many students I talk to and meet with every week and they're, they're depressed and they don't have a full life. And it's like, man, where is Jesus at? Every time he's not at the core. Man, if Jesus is at the core, it's impossible not to have a full life. I'm telling you, I don't know a person who's chasing after Jesus that doesn't have a full life. It doesn't mean their life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean they're going to be happy every moment. It means they're going to be full. So if you're here tonight and you say, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never made that step for faith. I've heard the baptism testimonies of the students who've done that recently. Man, tonight's message, or, or maybe last week was your first week, or tonight's your first night. And maybe that's a bold step for you. Listen, let me tell you something. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. People will say things like, man, I'm not going to beg you to give your life to Christ. No, no, listen, I'm begging you. 
because you have a cancer in you called sin and it will destroy you eventually. It does everyone. So, everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here tonight and you say, I need to give my life to Jesus tonight. I want him to be my savior. I want him to be my Lord. I want to know what this full life is. Then I just want you to talk to him right now in this moment. You can pray something, something like this. God, I don't know what to do. Sometimes I think that I'm good because I haven't done egregious things. Or maybe your story is that you have done egregious things. And God, I thank you that even though the cancer, the sin that's within me that's destroying my life is there and present, God, that you didn't leave me here alone, but that you paid the ultimate price by sending your son Jesus to walk here on this earth, to be tempted in every way that I'm tempted, yet without sin. And God, I thank you that he went to the cross, that he died on the cross for my sins. God, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death so that no longer do I have to die and and so no longer does death have to be final. But now, in Jesus, life is what is final. So God, I want to give my life to you. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender it over. God, put good people in my life that can encourage me in that journey. Help me to walk in your ways. I know I'm not going to be perfect. I know I'm not perfect now. But God, I want you to help me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That is what God is in the business of. God is not in the business of judgment. God is not in the business of condemnation. He is in the business of love and forgiveness. And that's what he brings tonight. And some of you need that love and forgiveness when it comes to the little sins in your life. And some of you need that love and forgiveness when it comes to surrendering your life to him. So during this next song, how he loves us, the point of the Bible. Oh, how he loves us. I want you just to press in and I want you to sing it at the top of your lungs as a prayer back to God and do some business with him tonight. Man, we're here to do business with God. We're not here to play around. We're here to get under the surface, under the hood, to the core of who we are. Do some business with God tonight. Let's respond.